Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Welcome to this special edition of Out to Lunch Louisiana. I'm Peter Raschuti in New Orleans. I'm Christian Bader in Lafayette. And in Baton Rouge, I'm Stephanie Regal. Normally, we're the hosts of Out to Lunch in our respective cities, but during the course of the current public health crisis, we're joining forces to bring you a statewide look at what's happening in the world of business and finance. It might feel like ages, but not so long ago, I was hosting Out to Lunch Acadiana in Lafayette at the French Press. And today, like Peter and Stephanie, I'm social distancing at home, and the French Press is doing curbside takeout. You can get their regular menu items, including a family dinner, delivered through Waiter or Grubhub or directly from the restaurant. 337-233-9449. In New Orleans, Commander's Palace is closed. You can find out more about their plans to resume pickup and delivery at commanderspalace.com. In Baton Rouge, the restaurant that normally hosts out to lunch, Mansur's on the Boulevard, is open for pickup and delivery. You can order them by calling 225-923-3366. The COVID-19 pandemic has changed so much about our lives, it's hard to think of a part of our life that hasn't been affected. But of all the changes, the biggest casualty other than health is employment. At the time we're having this conversation, the number of unemployed people in the United States is hovering around a staggering 20 million. Although this is a nationwide problem, the stopgap solution to unemployment, the payment of unemployment compensation, is left to the states. Unemployment compensation is structured like insurance. It works on the assumption that only a relatively small number of people will be unemployed at any one time. So when 20 million people suddenly lose their job on the same day, how do states keep funding unemployment insurance and paying compensation? Here in Louisiana, there's a division of the Department of Labor that handles all aspects of unemployment, the Louisiana Workforce Commission. The Assistant Secretary of Unemployment Insurance at the LWC is Robert Woolley. Robert, it's possible that the massive number of people who found themselves out of a job can get rehired just as quickly when things open up. But what happens if it doesn't work that way? What what if the economy comes back slowly? How does the state keep paying unemployment benefits to tens of thousands more people than it budgeted for? Well, that's going to be something that we're going to have to look at. Um, The federal money, though, that has been put up to Uh, take care of the 1099 and self-employed folks uh, does last through uh, sometime in late July. So we should have enough funding for that. The problem might come in the state trust fund, which is what employers pay taxes into to cover unemployment for their W-2 employees. Uh, We have plenty of money now, but we're paying out in in larger and larger amounts each week out of the trust fund and we have told employers that they will not have to pay uh, this money which they normally would uh, have to pay back into the system the governor waived that requirement for them to contribute uh, to employees that of theirs that have uh, taken this benefit 
So um, maybe if you could put some numbers to that, and if you don't have the statistics readily available, at least give us an idea of how much time we're talking about. How, how many months do we have? Well, I think we would have plenty of months in the trust fund, but at some point we will have to replenish it. But I will tell you, after Katrina, the federal government did come in and and help us replenish our, our trust fund. So we think that'll probably happen again this time. But just to give you some examples of the amounts of money that we're paying out, yesterday we paid $205 million in benefits to give you a sense of what that number is all of last year we paid 151 million dollars in unemployment benefits and so just to follow up real quick so that was 205 million for for what period the past week for one day for one day one day since since the pandemic started we have paid out 400 million federal dollars in unemployment and approximately 136 million in state dollars in unemployment. And the 400 million really only started uh, on April the 13th, which was last week. Robert, I know in Louisiana, we tend to do things differently in in all aspects. Uh, um, Do other states have this same kind of structure and uh, are we more generous than others? No, I think we all have a similar structure, but this program is intended as a safety net. It's intended to give a, a uh, small amount of money to sustain someone while the true goal is reemployment. And most of our resources in our department, as well as other state departments, is geared towards reemployment, either retraining people or helping them to get back into the workforce. And that's what most of the resources in this office and most uh, employment offices around the country are set up to do. So it's really kind of a a safety net program that Congress has now turned into a potential stimulus program. So if the structure of this is something that we think of as a safety net that's uh, contingent upon trying to find new employment, I mean, there's a scenario at the end of this where that's really tough to do. I mean, what, what is a program like this look like in an environment where you can't readily expect people to find new jobs? And, and that's the problem, and I think that's why the federal government stepped in and pumped the money into the CARES Act uh, to help uh, alleviate that problem, because you can't require work searches right now because there's no place to find work. And so the federal government, in anticipation of that, started funding all of these state programs with federal dollars uh, to pay out to people especially people who normally wouldn't be in the trust fund, which are the W-2 employees. It includes now the the people who are self-employed and 1099, which is basically most of our hospitality industry and our restaurant industry. Those are some of the first people that were casualties of this and that are uh, having to uh, seek benefits, but yet they weren't really eligible for these benefits until last week. Robert, um, I mean, I think the longer this goes on and you talk about more more federal aid perhaps coming to the rescue, it, I mean, it seems to me inevitable that you're going to start to see more political divisions, you know, as they craft these aid packages or solutions or as our legislature looks to go back in 
Um, you know, I know they're already talking about wanting to cut business taxes, and yet that's some of the same money that's needed to fund these government programs that we're all relying on. I mean, I can, I can just see where this would get a lot worse before it gets better. You know the political system here. I mean, what do you think are, are the viable solutions, you know, for sort of walking that fine line between keeping people, you know, in a sustainable situation without, you know, bankrupting the system or, you know, I don't know. How does this all play out? Well, as we've seen in the past, unfortunately, here in Louisiana, we've had a lot of unprecedented disasters, starting with Katrina and the 2016 flood. And what we find out is disasters and the need to pull together sometimes uh, take care of those political differences. As we've seen in Washington, which is about as politically as divisive as I've ever seen in my lifetime, they came together because they needed to to help people and realize that the entire economy and the recovery of the economy is going to depend on the solutions that they craft today. And I think that's going to filter down into Louisiana because we saw it with our state legislature after Katrina. We saw it with our state legislature after the 2016 flood. So I think sometimes when you have these disasters, it dissolves some of the political uh, discord that you normally see. Well, let's certainly hope you are right about that. Thank you so much for joining us today. Robert Woolley is the Assistant Secretary of Unemployment Insurance at the Louisiana Workforce Commission. Robert, it's been great visiting with you. Thanks for joining us on Out to Lunch Louisiana. Stay safe out there. Thank you very much, and y'all stay safe too. Thank you. You're listening to a special edition of Out to Lunch Louisiana with Stephanie Regal in Baton Rouge. Peter Raschuti in New Orleans, and I'm Christian Mater here in Lafayette. You know, just a few weeks ago, the idea that we'd all stop our lives on the same day and be stuck in our homes might have seemed like the plot of a dystopian series you'd see on Netflix. But now that's really happening. It's giving us an unimagined opportunity, self-reflection. And when things start back up, do you want to jump back into the same life you were living? That's sort of the question. Or could you use this period of suspended animation to reassess and make some changes? These are questions Dr. Stephen Barnes is asking, except he's asking them about the entire state of Louisiana. Dr. Barnes is director of the Kathleen Babineau Blanco Public Policy Center at the University of Louisiana at Lafayette. And he's a member of the Louisiana Revenue Estimating Conference, a government panel that determines income projections that create the state budget. So Dr. Barnes, I'd really like to sort of just jump into it here. Um, you know, the revenue, the revenue estimating conference will meet in May, as I understand it, to forecast how much money the legislature can spend. You know, oil prices went negative yesterday for the first time ever. Sales tax revenue is cratered across the board. And just for perspective, the mayor here in Lafayette told us yesterday to expect a 35% decrease in sales tax, sales tax collection for the city of Lafayette. And that translates to millions in decreased revenue here. Um, the state budget relies on sales tax, income tax, and oil revenues to pay the bills. I mean, how much do you expect the state budget will actually shrink? Well, uh, you, you've covered um, a, a very good brief summary of what has been a remarkably tumultuous and fast-moving economic picture. Um, and I've certainly been working hard over the last month or so to track as closely as, as possible um, just how much this is taking a toll on the economy and, and working with some of the other economists in Louisiana to try to bring together a robust perspective on what the potential might be in terms of the real depth of this and, and how long this will last. Um, 
this is going to be an event that uh, really sets a new watermark for uh, economic challenges and fiscal disruption. Um, just looking back at what is one of the biggest standout disruptions in recent memory of Katrina, uh, we saw about a 9% drop in employment over a period of about four months um, following Katrina. Um, fortunately, we also moved into a massive rebuilding program, which, which helped both recover jobs and bring new dollars into the state's economy and the state's budget. What we're looking at over the last uh, several weeks with unemployment claims translates into closer to 17% of the state's economy having already stood up and filed unemployment claims. So we're looking at something that's much deeper than that. Um, and the duration of this is still to be determined. So we're working hard to try to uh, pin down what this might mean for the state budget, but it's certainly going to be uh, a significantly different picture uh, toward the end of this fiscal year and looking ahead to next fiscal year than what we thought we were looking at just a month and a half ago. I'm curious if you could just walk us through a little bit what the the math actually looks like and not necessarily in the sense of like what the numbers would be, but I mean, it's not necessarily obvious to me what variables you're plugging in to really benchmark this when you're making this kind of forecast in normal times, much less during a pandemic. Well, it's important to look at the state's budget um, and, and the revenues on an individual basis because some of those revenue streams um, are very closely tied to the economy. Some will be very closely tied to specific sectors, such as oil and gas related revenues, uh, while other revenue streams have a, a weaker relationship and may not move as much. So uh, looking at them on a case-by-case -case basis is certainly important. Um, and we know that some of those, such as severance taxes and royalties, immediately will drop in a big way because of what we're seeing with the price of oil. And that's a relationship that's a bit more direct and, and something that we can anticipate uh, with, with greater accuracy. Um, as we move to other sources of revenue, another big one being sales taxes, uh, we've seen massive changes in consumption uh, in, in purchasing habits. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of that has meant a shift away from taxable purchases towards untaxable purchases with food at home and other uh, essential uh, purchases from grocery stores. Um, so, so that's, that's kept some businesses active, but is still going to translate to a, a larger impact on that revenue stream. Um, whereas other revenue streams, while, while we've seen a lot of people uh, beginning to file for unemployment benefits, um, and certainly some families are feeling a huge impact from this event on their own budgets, um, the broader tax base for the income tax is something that doesn't move quite as rapidly uh, over time. And, and so it's important to look at those carefully, and that's something we're, we're still very much in the thick of that. And, and the two economists that really uh, crunch the numbers for the REC, Greg Albrecht and Manfred Dix, I know have been working very hard on that um, and will continue to try to bring in um, the, the latest data points that we can on uh, where we think the economy is and where it's headed uh, to, to bring that together for that next REC meeting. Stephen, this is uh, Peter Raschuti. I sat on the uh, City of New Orleans Revenue Estimating Committee for over 20 years, but your job is so much more difficult. It's not only a larger area and a lot of different variables, but we didn't have oil prices to deal with. Uh, what I remember uh, back years ago was that they said that the every dollar change in the price of oil translated to, I don't, was it $13 million to the budget? Is that still about what the number is? 
that that's a reasonable approximation. I think that's a number that's certainly been going down over time. Um, and as we look back over a period of decades, we've seen a very dramatic shift in the state's reliance on oil and gas revenues. Now, that industry continues to be an incredibly important economic driver for the state. So even outside of severance taxes, royalties, uh, and, and other oil and gas revenues, the, what's happening in the oil and gas industry is certainly going to take its toll more broadly on the economy, and that will ripple through to affect sales taxes, income taxes, and many of those other revenue streams as well. Um, but, but that does continue to be a, a really significant part of the state budget. Um, but, but as I mentioned earlier, something that uh, I think the, the economists that are really crunching the numbers for the REC have a fairly good handle on. So I think we'll at least have, you know, it, it'll be bad news for the state budget, but I think we'll have a reasonably good picture of what that might mean for the next year. Stephen, do we uh, hedge our oil position? In other words, kind of lock in prices for a portion of it? Uh, for, from a state budget standpoint? Um, there, there are some provisions that'll relate to kind of set determined prices. Um, but, uh, but some of those revenues are drawn based on the actual transaction prices. Um, so it varies depending on those revenue streams. Um, and, uh, certainly the degree to which that has changed now is going to lead to, uh, direct, uh, impacts on those revenue streams. And the other thing that's happening is this is a big enough swing in the oil market uh, that we're going to see significant changes in behavior among those businesses. So the other important variable that goes into that is the quantity of oil and gas produced. And that's something now that we can expect to see changing in a meaningful way, given just how radically uh, the market environment has changed for those businesses. Stephen, I know reading you know, national publications, you're hearing about city and state governments already talking about furloughing public sector employees and layoffs. I was asking Commissioner of Administration Jay Darden about that the other day, and he said because we were most of the way through the fiscal 2020 year, you know, and we had been in good shape for most of that year, that wasn't a, you know, a, a likelihood at this point, but that, you know, next year it might be. Um, any idea, you know, if and when that might come? Because here in Baton Rouge, of course, the public sector is a big part of the economy, and we've been a little bit insulated, you know, from some of the impacts that other other areas have felt because of that. Well, there there are a lot of moving pieces in that equation. Um, we're we're looking both at the revenue side um, and what happens on the expenditure side matters as well. Uh, during a downturn like this, this is a time when I think the public can appreciate the, the importance of many of those state programs that those dollars are supporting. Um, but there's also a lot of federal assistance coming in to, to help boost and support many of those programs. Um, and so I think that, that picture is, is still beginning to emerge a bit more clearly, and there's still some questions about what additional federal assistance might come in. But for example, the federal government has uh, increase the share of Medicaid expenses that will be covered by the federal government, and that helps to free up some state dollars. Um, and there are other similar sort of di disaster response type uh, grant programs that will bring dollars in to support some of those public programs. So the net effect of how that washes out is, is very complicated, um, and I'm, I'm thankful to have someone with the experience of Commissioner Darden um, tracking that and working through that in a very careful way. Um, but, but so, so in the end, it's really going to determine, uh, depend on that balance between how much of a decline we really see on the revenue side, uh, which will be heavily influenced by how long this event 
uh, is drawn out, um, as well as what support we might get from the federal government. And then ultimately a decision by the legislature and the governor on uh, where we want to move as a state and, and what investments must be made to get Louisiana on the right path uh, to, to come out of this in, in a stronger position. Um, and, and there's going to be a balancing act there between, man between managing our tax system and what that does to revenues, uh, as well as managing the expenditure side of that equation. Uh, Dr. Barnes, this is Christian again. I, I, one of the things I've seen, you know, uh, in, in all this is, is a call to sort of provide relief to the oil and gas industry specifically. And, and one of the changes that has been requested would be, say, reducing or eliminating the severance tax. So I'm curious your thoughts on whether that would be sensible policy uh, or would we actually see, you know, some uh, benefit that would outweigh, say, the lost revenue? Or, or is it more important that we keep whatever revenue streams we have in place while we have them? Well, you, you've touched on the interdependency of, of the state's economy on that sector and the state's budget on, on what's happening there. Um, I think you're right. There are lots of trade-offs there. When we look at the magnitude of the downturn in that industry, and this is due to global conditions, this is a global economic slowdown uh, that's coming on top of what had been a, a sort of geopolitical dispute between Saudi Arabia and Russia. And, uh, you know, severance taxes and royalties absolutely factor into the accounting that those oil and gas firms are doing to determine, you know, what makes sense, what kinds of investments should they be making, and in this environment, can they keep their heads above water? Um, I think the size of the downturn here is something that is far larger than what we might be able to offer as a state in terms of helping to lower their operating costs. That being said, we're, we're looking at companies in a, across a range of, um, of, of economic and financial health. And so there will certainly be companies on the margin who are uh, you know, trying to keep their heads above water and, and for them, any relief will make a difference. Um, so I think it is appropriate to think about short-term efforts to try to keep people uh, afloat over a very brief window of time and what's our longer term strategy for setting tax policy, uh, you know, but, but uh, it's such a fast moving environment uh, that I think it's going to be very difficult to uh, bring a, a new state tax policy or tax relief um, to, to make a significant difference across that industry. Dr. Barnes, Christian mentioned at the at the beginning, you know, that this would might force us to think about new ways of doing things. I mean, when you talk about tax policy changes or some of the things, I mean, do you see this bringing forth a discussion about diversifying the economy, changing the way we do things, or or the reliance, for instance, like the recession of the '80s did to our reliance on oil, you know, and gas severance taxes and royalties, and that became a much <clears throat> excuse me a much smaller part of our budget, right? So, I mean, do we see this maybe changing the way we really do business in Louisiana economically? I think that there's no doubt that this event is going to change the way we do business in Louisiana. Um, I think we're going to see a, a very large number of small changes that pervade the entire economy. So there are going to be lots of little things that retailers have to do that restaurants will start to do as they begin to reopen um, and, and, and try to serve their customers in a way that was similar to what they did previously. 
And when we think about the importance of tourism and, and major events in the state's economy, um, I think those things will return over time, but they're going to be a lot of little things that are done differently to make them succeed and make the, make their customers feel comfortable. Um, but I also think this is a moment in time when we should be thinking more broadly about, you know, where are we headed as a state and how do we push the state in the right direction to really get on a path of stronger economic growth and, and um, embrace the economy of maybe it's the new 21st century, um, a post 2020 economy. Uh, and, and as I've been tracking this event and, and thinking about how it has already affected the economy, I think in many ways we've seen this rapidly accelerate some underlying trends that were already there. So we've, we've talked a lot over the last 10 and even 20 years about how technology continues to um, work its way into different pockets of the economy and change the nature of work. Uh, here we are all today doing what has been a, a live in-person radio show entirely over the internet. Um, that's not necessarily going to be the new normal for all things, but I do think that as we move on the other side of this, we're going to see a different balance between doing things the way that we always had done before and an even greater embrace of how we can use technology to stay productive in a variety of different settings. So I think this is definitely going to be a, a, a window of time where we see an accelerated pace of change. We've got hundreds of thousands of people who are out of work today who are going to be rethinking, what do I want to do in the next chapter of my career? So I think it's also very important as a state, despite the challenging budgetary environment, that we find a way to get those folks re-engaged in the education and training system um, and, and get, those, get that important part of our workforce um, retooled and retrained uh, because some of, the, some of them won't have jobs to go back to. For those that can get back to work quickly, that's great. We want to get them re-engaged in, in the economy as quickly as possible, but we need to make sure we've got wide open doors to the education and training system so that we can get folks uh, retooled and, 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 and focus people in a direction that's going to be productive for the next 10, 10 to 20 years. Dr. Barnes, you mentioned the changes in the economy for less brick and mortar, more online sales. Does the state get revenue on online sales? The state does get revenue from uh, the bulk of online sales. Uh, large uh, retailers uh, for many years have been, um, have been submitting uh, sales taxes for those online sales among those that do have a presence in the state. Uh, more recently, there's been a, a legal case that sort of expanded that to, to a great degree. Um, I think there still is um, some, some uh, kind of cleaning up that Louisiana can do in our, in our tax code to make sure that we're doing that in a way that is more comprehensive um, because that will continue to be an important and growing part of the retail sales environment. Um, so there's a little housekeeping there that we need to do. And, and again, that's, that's one thing to add to the list that, that of, of issues that need to be dealt with right now uh, as, as we see this as, a, as a, a challenging time, but also as a, a moment of opportunity to rethink how we're doing things and make sure that we're doing things as well as possible. And, and Dr. Barnes, do we have any feel for, for how long this goes? I mean, I, I, with respect to the industrial construction projects that were going to propel our economic growth for the next couple of years, they're now saying, don't look for anything till 2024. I mean, as, as the revenue estimating conference begins to meet and everything, are y'all looking that far out? How, how long does this go on for? The future is 
always uncertain, but I think now perhaps more than uh, in, it has been in many, many years, um, there is no doubt that we'll start to see uh, some of the currently idled or slower segments of the economy begin to come back online over the next several months. So I, I do see us starting to, to get things moving again fairly quickly, but it's going to be a slow and bumpy process. Um, I, I think we have to be very careful because if we're looking out six to 12 months from now, it's going to be very important that we've got um, things we, that we've got high consumer confidence and high business confidence, because those are the things that are going to get people back to the marketplace. Those are going to be the things that help uh, give businesses um, the confidence and, and uh, the comfort in moving forward with larger scale uh, industrial projects. And to do that, we know we need to get things moving again, but we want to be careful to do that in a way that's not, um, that's not pushing faster than where the healthcare system needs to be and the guidance that we're getting from public health officials. Um, so I know everybody's eager to get things moving again quickly. And I think, you know, things will start to move fairly soon, but it is going to be a slow and bumpy process. So it's uh, economics is an uncertain science for an even more uncertain time. Uh, Dr. Barnes, thanks so much for your time and best of luck to you. Thank you. Dr. Stephen Barnes is director of the Kathleen Babineau Blanco Public Policy Center at the University of Louisiana at Lafayette and a member of the State of Louisiana Revenue Estimating Conference. Dr. Barnes, thank you so much for joining us in Out to Lunch, Louisiana. You're listening to a special edition of Out to Lunch, Louisiana with Christian Mader in Lafayette, Stephanie Regal in Baton Rouge, and I'm Peter Raschuti in New Orleans. As Stephanie mentioned earlier, there are now about 20 million people in the U.S. right now who have lost their jobs. That is an extremely high number, but it's not everybody. The total size of the U.S. workforce is over 157 million. Companies who remain open through this crisis are hiring. Reportedly, Amazon is still looking after already hiring 100,000 people, and Walmart is aiming to hire 150,000. Here in Louisiana, workforce recruiters are actively looking for people to fill positions. One of those recruiters is Henry Shirtles. Henry is partner and vice president of OneSource Professional Search. On the company's website, there's a homepage message that says, we've weathered multiple economic and natural disasters during our 17 years in business, each time emerging stronger and are confident that our trusted client partners and candidates will do the same. Henry, we're all looking for good employment news right now. Based on your experience, who in Louisiana uh, might really emerge economically or financially stronger from the crisis, and, and how are they doing it? Peter, uh, thank you for having me this morning. Yeah. We're coming off uh, 2019, the lowest unemployment in, across the country at roughly 3.5%, which is the lowest it's been in 50 years. And now we are in March. Numbers show that we're, uh, we're up to about 4.5%. In April, that, may, that number, of, this is across the country, may go to 15%. And then their projections, uh, recent Forbes article, said we may go to 30%, which was, you know, Depression-era unemployment. In Louisiana, we were tracking about a little over 5.5% at the end of the year, uh, in March, I think we were nearing 7%. So we're seeing the impact in the state of Louisiana in a big way and, and likely to see that number go maybe to 15% in, in April. So it's uh, in the near term, there's a lot of pain and suffering 
uh, out there uh, in hourly jobs as well as professional staff. And most of our clients have installed a 60 to 90 day hiring freeze. And so that means they're suspending hiring. Uh, there have been layoffs. There have been uh, furloughs, which is better than a, uh, you know, a better situation than a layoff. And then there, there's some companies benefiting and from this. I think uh, the IT staffing companies uh, are doing well. People that are working remotely, we're all working uh, in, in our homes, most of us. Uh, the company, uh, we have a defense uh, contractor that's uh, budgeting and they are proceeding with uh, hiring uh, multiple positions. We have uh, on the North Shore, we have a uh, design firm that designs parts for the paper industry and they are hiring uh, at a rapid pace because that industry is, you know, is under a lot of strain and, and, and growth. Uh, we have a, uh, some engineering firms that are continuing to hire. Uh, some of those are technical positions, some of them are finance and accounting positions. So while the market is relatively soft, there are firms out there that are high. Henry, I hope that paper industry company was big on toilet paper because that's uh, that seems to be the big, <laughs> the big one right now. If, if we were a fly on the wall in a corporate boardroom right now, what are they thinking? What's going through their heads? Are they thinking that going forward after something like this, we should run leaner and meaner or perhaps the other way, which is uh, if more of these things come up, maybe we need more uh, bench strength. Well, I think what you'll see is uh, because we're all learning uh, new ways of doing work. So I think it's one of your other guests alluded to, that's going to change how work is done. Uh, we'll find some companies that feel like their, their employees can work remotely. So this will impact the real estate market maybe. Uh, there will be more workers that do, working on contract rather than direct hire. So companies will be reducing their, uh, their overhead expenses. I think you will see some companies staffing smaller because they'll be able to, they're seeing that they can get work done with a, with a smaller staff. So I, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, we're, I've been talking about that with clients when I'm talking to them. It's uncertain what that's going to mean long term, but I think we can all predict that it is going to change how we do work. It's going to uh, impact the numbers of employees. Uh, and so, you know, there, changes, changes coming. And, and I think the progression uh, for a lot of people that are finding themselves unemployed now, the progression, the growth is going to be a pace level because some companies are, uh, that we know are, are already determined they're, they're closing their shops. So those workers are going to have to retrain. Maybe their skills are transferable to another industry, uh, but to, to, to find work. Henry, are the jobs that you all are, are seeking to fill now, do you think those are one-offs or are they sort of leftover openings from before this whole pandemic crisis started or are they really new opportunities that have arisen in the past five weeks? Stephanie, I think it's a mixed bag. And, and I think it's some of these are budgeted positions that uh, we were already, uh, our clients were already had planned for and important positions. And we have a company that has a transportation manager role that uh, they felt was very important. So they are now progressing that with three candidates. And in, in, in lieu of an on-site interview, they're doing their second interviews, which is typically on-site uh, by Zoom, and then they'll make a decision. So some of them are one-off, some of them will be contract short-term. Some of these will be uh, new positions, new opportunities that are created. It was, uh, you know, I'm thinking back to post uh, Katrina when my partner and I were working 
and things were in turmoil, mainly here in the southeast, but it dislocated a lot of workers. And I think you're going to see that as well in, in uh, this time. And so a lot of companies were backfilling positions because people had moved, relocated uh, for different reasons. So I think uh, we're optimistic that uh, there will be really good jobs out there. Uh, it, it may take some time for certain workers. We do a lot of work in the energy space, both the, uh, the you know, downstream business, the midstream and the upstream. And as uh, Dr. Barnes mentioned earlier, I mean, that business has taken a double whammy, not only from the geopolitical, uh, which has been resolved to, to some degree. However, we're in a supply, uh, over, vast oversupply situation. And that's what caused the oil, oil markets to turn upside down yesterday. I, this is Christian. I, one thing I've been curious about, right, is I think before this pandemic, the, the, the big boogeyman in in work in the workforce was automation the idea that that we were going to get pushed out of our jobs uh, by technology and, and and it does strike me that this scenario might accelerate that i mean is that something that you think is likely to happen or 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 is there you know or is that risk kind of overblown well i, I think uh that will continue in some ways particularly the manufacturing industry we have seen that at automation that some some roles were eliminated, but other roles were created. So it's, uh, it's caused a uh, workforce training issue too, because in some communities, the workforce can't support uh, some of the um, companies that are manufacturing and moving into the robotics industry. So I think it, there's a lot of dynamics there, I think, uh, but I don't see a sea change in that area, uh, to be honest. I, I think that there will be a continuation of jobs created because of that, and there will also be some eliminated. So, probably balancing out in the long run. And Henry, one kind of nightmare scenario is we open up the economy and then cases spike again, and then we have to lock it back down again. That has got to be just an awful situation for both hiring managers and people seeking jobs, right? Absolutely. I mean, that would be the worst case scenario. And I think there's a lot of uncertainty around the coronavirus and there's no uh, vaccine. There's no a proven medication, a lot of things in testing, uh, more people, a lot of things going on there. But if, if this continues, I think it's going to change uh, socially how we interact with people. And I think that's going to have an impact on, on the workplace. If, that, if this continues, you know, it's going to be devastating for a lot of uh, families, particularly those who didn't really plan for a long-term outage of work. And a lot of people are dependent upon a check every week and those jobs go, are have gone away for the for the short term so it's just going to be uh you know very very painful and you know the the, the 2.2 trillion dollar cares act has been some relief for people i think in the near term because there's some provisions in there for those who are unemployed henry shirls is partner and vice president of one source professional search henry thanks so much for joining us on out to lunch louisiana my pleasure. And thank you for joining us for this special edition of Out to Lunch Louisiana. We edited these conversations to fit into the time slot here on your NPR radio station. You can hear longer versions of these conversations wherever you normally get your Out to Lunch podcast. If you're not an Out to Lunch podcast subscriber, search for Out to Lunch, Out to Lunch Baton Rouge, or Out to Lunch Acadiana on your podcast app. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical director is Eric Merle. Photos from this show on our website and social media are taken by Jill LaFleur. I'm Stephanie Regal in Baton Rouge. <laughs>
I'm Peter Raschuti in New Orleans. And I'm Christian Mader in Lafayette. We'll see you back here next week for more Out to Lunch Louisiana. Till then, if you work in an essential industry and are still reporting for duty, thank you. And remember to take care of yourself. If you're not going to work, please stay home and stay safe. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. 